Good morning. Cool. Well, welcome. Let's, uh, let's get started. Thank you guys all so much for being here. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. Uh, as always, uh, our hope, our desire with uh, what we're doing in terms of community at OVV is to have an authentic connection with Jesus. Obviously, uh, through the worship, we're not singing songs about him, but we're singing songs to him. And, and our hope is that that encounter would continue through uh, our engagement with the scriptures, through the, the sermon time. Uh, we really want this to be, uh, again, an interaction, a, a way in which uh, we connect heart to heart, face to face with Jesus, in which he, uh, he touches us, changes us, transforms us. So let's just start uh, with prayer. Father, thank you so much for your presence. Thank you so much. Uh, for your power. Thank you so much for your word. Uh, we love the scriptures. Uh, we're so grateful that you've spoken, that you uh, spoke through wise uh, men telling the story of, of Christianity and that it was written down, that we can examine it and look at it and learn from it. We're just so grateful for your word. As we, as we engage, just uh, draw near, Father. Let your Holy Spirit be present and be the true teacher and instructor here. Uh, far above anything I could do or say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Cool. So we're in the middle of a, a, a little series before we uh, get into the summer uh, called Crossing the Threshold. And what it, it really is designed to do is to help us think through some of the things our home church network and uh, call people to maybe a little bit of a deeper level of engagement uh, in all of that. Uh, so uh, just to do some teaching on what it means to be in community to face a little uh, bit as much as possible, moving away from kind of consumer Christianity. Uh, we love what we do here in terms of Sunday mornings, this uh, ability to connect and teach, mass communication and that. We believe it's really important. Uh, rows are good. Like this is a good thing that we're doing. So we're not holding uh, home church against uh, our gathered worship. What we're saying is that we just need more. We need more connection, more interaction. Uh, we need to go a little bit deeper. So rows are good. Circles are maybe even slightly better. Um, and, uh, and we really want to call uh, us into that. <clears throat> Part of that journey is to sort of trying to understand uh, what it means to uh, be in a group together, what it means to be in a small group, uh, sharing our gifts and our talents and our abilities and doing all of that in a way that uh, is empowered by the Holy Spirit. What fruit can that bear uh, in our lives? What are the challenges with that? And we're just going to talk a little bit about that. How do we do empowered community uh, together? But the first thing I want to do, though, is I want to put that in uh, context in terms of big picture, in terms of where the church is at. Uh, for those of you that were at sort of leadership meeting, we had a little bit, uh, I guess, a couple of weeks ago, we, we looked at some statistics. I'm just going to share some of these with all of us together. Uh, each year, there are a thousand fewer churches in Canada than there were the year before. 
It's a fairly significant uh, statistic, a fairly significant idea. Uh, the church, in terms of numbers of churches, now that doesn't, that's not necessarily how many Christians there are or any of that, but in terms of the numbers of churches, uh, lots of churches are becoming dance studios and apartments and, uh, and are just closing and failing and not working. And not as many churches are being planted as churches that are growing. Significant uh, thing for us to wrestle with. In the last 10 years, the number of 20-somethings who claim no religious connection has gone from 21% to 36%. That is a significant number, taking a whole generation of people and seeing that very, you know, slowly over the last 10 years, which actually, actually I don't think statistically that's very slow at all, are significantly declining in terms of the number of, of people who are uh, uh, connected with faith. They would just say, you know what, I just don't want anything to do with it. It's, it's a way, it's irrelevant, it's behind me. Um, and since 2001, the number of those who claim to attend church at least monthly has decreased from 43% to 27%. So that's, and that's like, that's monthly attenders. Like we're hoping for at least bi-weekly. I'm personally hoping for weekly, right? Uh, if you want to see weekly, some weekly attendance uh, statistics to maybe challenge us a little bit, uh, Nigeria, 87% weekly church attendance. You know, that's the place where we send all our missionaries because they really need to know about Jesus. Um, Zambia, 85%. Chad, flowing into Canada. Right? <laughs> right? Right? Now, there's a lot to be said. Uh, international development and how that fits into all of it is pretty complex. But there's a significant need here in this country and a need here since Carlton Place, Almont, Mississippi Mills, Beckwith. These are just population numbers off the StatsCan uh, website. Um, <clears throat> Carlton Place, 10,000. Almont, 4 and change. Mississippi Mills, 13,000. Uh, Beckwith, uh, 7,000 for a total of 36,000 people in our area. We think of our, us being a church, a little old church in Carlton Place, you know, kind of a church with, uh, or a community with maybe 10,000 people. But if you look at the broader market, and then if you were to include Smith Falls, Perth, and, and go even larger, we're looking at a larger market of somewhere in the neighborhood of 50,000 people who uh, are possible uh, attendees at our church on Sunday morning. Uh, possible people who uh, could be connected, who could be hearing the Jesus story, who could be uh, following him. Uh, if you look at those people and look at sort of that 23% that now would consider themselves sort of regular church attenders, people attending just once a month, uh, there'd be 9,000 of those in the community. If you look around now, if you think about that statistic and look around at the local churches and say, okay, there's a, a beautiful Pentecostal church, Free Methodist church, Move church, All Nations church, all of these other churches that we're in community with in terms of evangelical churches, look at the Anglican church, Roman Catholic church, United church. And if you think about the Sunday morning attendance in those churches, which are all averaging about 40 to 50 people for the most part, I have a hard time seeing even 9,000 people uh, that attend church, you know, regularly in our region. But that's sort of the number, that's sort of the 23%. It shows that maybe we're in a little bit of hard ground here where we are. But what that does at the very, very, very minimum leaves us 26,444 people in our region who are completely unchurched, who are not connected with uh, Christianity or faith in, in any way at all. 
significant number of people uh, to care for. Um, this is just a picture of a person sitting on their couch watching TV. Uh, people might be shopping or they might be uh, on a sports field or they might be doing any number of different things this morning, but there are 26,000 within reach of our church that don't know that this morning they could be worshiping the creator of the universe. They're watching Game of Thrones. There's a significant need out there. There's something for us to do. There's something for us to accomplish. Uh, just some, uh, some other quick math, 26,444 divided by 20, maybe roughly 20 people in a home church. That means that there's room for 13,022 home churches. I mean, like, let's get at it. We've got four. <laughs> right? There's a significant need. Right? And we have to get at it. We have to get at it. We have to reach those people. What does that number do for us? That number of 26,000 people do for us. Well, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 to 38 says this, but when he saw the multitudes, this is Jesus, and he had just finished doing incredible ministry to some, like healing the sick, raising the dead, uh, um, you know, delivering people from demons, like he was doing significant ministry. Uh, he had touched some, but he could see the multitudes all around that were yet untouched, that were yet unreached. And he said he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest send out laborers into his harvest field. Right? He had compassion on them. And so go back to this image of this, uh, oh, I lost her. She's gone. There she is. This poor person on the, on the couch who's watching Game of Thrones. Do we, do we have compassion for that person? Do we see them? Uh, do we cry out to Jesus and say, holy smoke, she doesn't have a shepherd. She doesn't have a teacher. She doesn't have a pastor. She doesn't have anybody leading her into relationship with Jesus. Who could do that job? Who could do it? Who could do it? We'll, we'll answer that question a little bit, won't we? Therefore, pray. Well, Jesus had an answer to the question in mind. Uh, we have this terrible thing called chapter divisions that are put in the text that were never put there by the original scribes. So we finish Matthew chapter 9 and we think, oh, maybe we're going to go ahead and read the next chapter the next day. Or maybe we'll go on and read a different chapter sometime. Maybe we'll read something from Luke tomorrow. But if we read the story continually, chapter 9 through chapter 10, it continues. It says this, uh, Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field, so Jesus called his disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every sickness and disease. Go proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons freely you have received, freely give. So pray the Lord sends out workers into his harvest field. And by the way, we're going to start with you. You're going. Like right now. And by the way, that involves uh, cleansing uh, lepers, healing the sick, and casting out demons. So just, just a quick raising of hands. Who's up for that? Right here. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, come on. Like, that's it. Like, that's the stuff. 
that we're called to, right? That's the stuff. But it feels like for us, of course, that we don't feel empowered for it. We don't feel able to do it, right? We're scared like heck of all that stuff, right? Honest truth, right? We're nervous about it. How do we do it? How do we freely receive? How do we freely give? Uh, Just to show us the continuation of Jesus' strategy here, and his strategy is to work through his church, is to work through his people, is to empower them. We jump to Acts 2. Uh, This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. He's describing what was happening in Pentecost. Today's Pentecost Sunday, right? Today's Pentecost Sunday, so we couldn't do, do it without a little bit of Acts 2. But Acts 2, the disciples are gathered in the upper room. They're wondering what to do with this kingdom thing that Jesus has taught them. And Jesus said, just wait in Jerusalem till you're uh, filled with power from on high. They're standing in the upper room, and all of a sudden the room is shaken. It's like an earthquake. A mighty rushing wind rushes through it. They see tongues of fire on all of their heads. They begin to speak in other tongues. They rush out into the streets. They're speaking in the languages of the people from gathered all the way around the world. And they're, and they're speaking in languages of angels. Uh, we can unpack the of all of that, however it works. Everybody understood them in their own language, and all of a sudden, this mission went from this tiny upper room, blam, out into the streets in a radical and powerful way. And when that mission went from the upper room, from the closed room, from the churched to the unchurched, uh, what was described uh, by Peter as he was trying to unpack it for everybody was, hey, this is what the prophet Joel was talking about. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit on those days. So what's his strategy? What's Jesus' strategy to reach the 26,000? Pour out his spirit on you. Pour out his spirit on us. How does that work? Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, we see it going on. Now, this has been going on. We can read all the way through the book of Acts. We see where Paul has been in uh, Corinth. We see where he's been in Ephesus. We see where he's been in Rome. All of that kind of story, the letters he's written. And we have this incredible piece of Paul's journey. Uh, and, and what happens at that time at Pentecost is with, the, with everybody receiving the gifts of the Holy Spirit uh, in that moment, it wasn't just those people in Jerusalem that got them. It went from those people to other people to other people to other people, and the gifts spread and moved out so that there would be a large community of people all across the Roman world who were empowered to take the gospel story, the kingdom of God, the glory and the beauty of that out into the world. But we don't feel empowered like that, right? That was for them. <laughs> but we're supposed to, I think, right? That we're supposed to. So this is what's happening in 1 Corinthians. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Just note there, underline, bold, big letters. Uh, the manifestation of the Spirit coming into your life is given for the common good, not just for you. Uh, we're going to talk about that more in a moment. Uh, to one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. Uh, to another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. All of these gifts of the Spirit. Uh, how many of you know that these gifts are likely all present in this room? Right, they're all present in this room. All of those acts to 1 Corinthians gifts are present in this, in this room. I know some of the people who operate in these things. Uh, some of you, will be, we don't even know that you have these gifts, but we've prayed and we're sitting there, we're having a conversation, and you're wondering, what in the world uh, should we do with this crazy, terrible situation? And a thought drops into your heart that didn't come from inside you, and it's a word of wisdom that's given to unlock a situation and to provide uh, direction in a time that's difficult and painful for somebody else. 
The gift of word of wisdom operates in that moment. Uh, the word of knowledge, sometimes it's been, it's been my experience to, to look at a person um, and, and see something about them and know something about them that there's no way I could humanly and naturally ever know about them. And know others of you who have experienced that gift before. Those gifts are meant to operate uh, in the life of the church. You can be looking at someone, they've got problems after problems after problems piled up in their life, and the Lord can give you just a little bit of insight to something that happened to them in their childhood that you could not have possibly known about, and it unlocks them and begins to set them free. And all that given with winsomeness and, and humility and gentleness and lots of wisdom around how that gift is meant to operate. But it's meant to offer op- operate. Uh, faith, gifts of healing. Tim Levins is a person that I know who has a gift of healing and longs to see it operate more, right? To see healing, to be able to lay hands on somebody and see physical transformation happen in their lives in that moment. Um, uh, to another, miracles, distinguishing between spirits. Uh, Craig Hall is a person with this gift of discernment, uh, discerning between spirits. Craig will have a conversation with somebody, and he can know in his heart of hearts that that person is not speaking through the spirit of Jesus, that something really wonky is going on, and Craig wants to kick him out of the house right? And deal with the situation or love them or care for them or whatever it is, right? Craig has an ability to know those things. And others of you have these gifts. The gift of uh, interpreting uh, tongues, the gift of speaking in different kinds of tongues, all of these gifts are meant to operate in the church. But when we think about it, we think, holy cow, that is, it's just, uh, it's just messy. We do not want to invite the weird uncles to the party, right? Is that how we feel? Like, like when, when, as I'm talking about all this stuff, like you guys, like your weirdo meter is like, whew, right? Who's got a weirdo meter that's just bing, 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 bing right now? Right, be honest, right? We got weirdo meters going. I got a weirdo meter going because we've seen some of this stuff happen, and we've seen it happen in some really uncomfortable, unhealthy, uh, crazy ways. And it brings up all kinds of questions for us, right? Seeing the gifts of the Spirit move, right? Uh, it brings up simple questions like, like what are my gifts? Like, what are my gifts? Like, do I, I, I've, these are, these are crazy things. I don't think I've experienced any of those. Could I operate in that? Uh, do I even have them? What does that look? How do I, how do I get them? How does that work? Uh, what if I use them in a wrong way and hurt somebody? What if uh, they turn me into a weirdo? Who, like, who, anybody, just raise your hand if you want to be a weirdo. There's a few. Okay, there's a few who few want to be weird. Few, you know, all those people already are, so that's good. Um, right? Like, you know, like, to be marginalized culturally is what we're really asking. Do we want to go through that uh, thing of being a bit countercultural? Do you want to be the person who goes up to the person in the grocery store and says, hey, listen, I think I have a word from God for you. <laughs> right? Like, come on, it's uncomfortable, right? Um, what if people judge me? Uh, why do uh, they seem to be so emotional? How many of you are just really uncomfortable with, like, super emotional expressions, uh, even in worship or in a prayer meeting or whatever? Like, just a heightened emotionalism, right? It's something that makes us uncomfortable, like, real deal, right? Uh, we have people who come to, come to our church, and they, they hear... Uh, the, the worship and they hear that it's passionate sometimes and I, I watch occasionally and see that a person will experience the presence, be experiencing the presence of God and it will be something that will touch them on a deep emotional level and they just simply don't know what to do with it. And I've watched people just sit for the first song or two and just begin to weep and just slowly make their way out the back door because they just don't know what to do. We're not comfortable uh, with the Holy Spirit touching us. Uh, we're fairly comfortable with the Holy Spirit teaching us through our minds, but we're not all that comfortable with Him touching us in our emotions, right? 
So there's something, to, some, some way to grow there. God should be able to touch all of us. And just what if things get out of control, right? And some of us have experienced uh, some things uh, that uh, the, the, the use of the gifts gone wrong, right? Uh, one, the gifts of the Spirit always go wrong when they get tied to religious formulas, right? So if I have this much faith, I don't know how much that is. I don't know how you measure faith. I don't have a measuring cup for that but I got to have the right amount of faith. And if I have that right amount of faith, then I will be healed or somebody that I love will be healed. How many of you know that formula doesn't work? There's mystery. Uh, how many, my wife Anna is a type one diabetic that has been prayed for by multiple people with well-known and well-established international healing ministries with a full and open heart and a desire and a passion to be healed and touched. And she hasn't been healed. We, uh, maybe, did you, did you, did you spill some of your faith out of your measuring cup, honey? I keep asking for more. He keeps asking for more, right? So there's, you know, these formulas, you know, don't necessarily work. So all kinds of pain and hurt can happen if, uh, if those things don't happen. Some people will be like wrestling with chronic illness and, and pain and somebody will be struggling and somebody will just freak out and pray, Lord, just heal them. Just like that. And then just, bam, they're healed. Like just like that. Boom. And I've seen people healed in lots of circumstances uh, where the room was full of no faith whatsoever. Like, I don't even, I don't think this is going to work at all. Like, that's been my level of faith. Like, oh, brother, why are we doing this again? And then you see somebody get healed, right? Like, the formulas don't work. There's some mystery involved, right? There's mystery involved. Uh, in this. We don't know. They, 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 the gifts go wrong when they get tied to our identity and our sense of self-worth. This is like looking at the charismatic movement in the 70s. Uh, God poured himself beautifully out on all kinds of young people coming through the Jesus movement. They'd given their hearts to the Lord. Incredible things happening. Uh, the older generation is like, holy cow, this is just kind of weird what's going on. Let's ask a few questions. And uh, because it's sort of shaking my sense of who I am. And the younger generation is like, well, uh, um, yeah, I, I feel so amazing about this amazing thing that's happening to me that I can't even handle your questions right now. And division kind of happens when we take our gifts uh, into being uh, our sense of identity, or they can be really limiting. Somebody can say, you know, this is my gift, this is who I am, this is exactly what I've got, um, and now um, I'm just, uh, that's, that's, that's who I'm at. And if anybody challenges it or offers discernment or says, hey, I think that prophetic word that you had wasn't quite uh, on or wasn't quite right, then it shakes us sometimes to our core, right? It can shake us to our core if our identity is tied to our use of the gifts. Um, our gifts can be used to manipulate or exert power over others in unhealthy ways. They can result in elitism. They can lead to sort of a pride and overconfidence that causes us not to open ourselves up to the discernment of others in community. If you look at 1 Corinthians uh, and some of the teaching on prophecy, uh, we see in part, we know in part, right? You understand that, uh, that piece of the text. It means that each person is given a piece but your piece isn't the whole piece. Somebody else has got a piece, and somebody else has got a piece, and somebody else has got a piece, and if you want to get the picture, you have to put the pieces together. You have to make the jigsaw puzzle. And even then, being humans as we are, there's likely to be a couple of pieces missing. Right? So we have to take this uh, collective communal discernment piece and work together to make uh, a sense of finding direction from God work. And if we're overconfident and think that our piece is the only piece and we're going to drive the whole church a certain direction based on the one piece that I have, 
then we're, we're destined for hurt, <laughs> right? There has to be a, a communal discernment together as we hear uh, the voice of God. Um, uh, sometimes uh, that sort of overconfidence or pride results in us just leading ourselves into theological error. And, and cuckoo town, like I found out that I had a dream about an angel uh, coming down and the angel told me that we should blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden we wrote the Book of Mormon, right? <laughs> Right? So, so there's got to be uh, some process and discernment around all of that. But we want those gifts operating, right? When we think about it, we think of all the problems, all the stuff that can go wrong. And there's a huge list of stuff that can go wrong when we get religious and crazy about it. Like the spiritual gifts without guidance can make us cuckoo in the head. Right? <laughs> they can just make us cuckoo in the head. Woo! Right? Uh, but, but Paul experienced this. Like Paul knew. It's like, I, I, I've seen all kinds of things happen in the churches that I planted. And the Holy Spirit's been pouring out, poured out. And amazing things have happened. Lots of people have come to faith. And they always go cuckoo pants. So every time I teach, I think maybe I'll just uh, write a little something that will help them not go as cuckoo pants. Right? Everywhere Paul speaks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, he gives some disclaimer and some teaching on governing principles along with them. We saw it in Corinth, we saw it in Rome, we saw it in Ephesus. Wherever Paul teaches on the Holy Spirit, he gives those governing principles because he wants those gifts to operate, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, but he wants them to off operate in a safe context. And that for us is what we're longing for as a community. We're longing to see the gifts released. We're longing to see people uh, moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. But we're all a little bit afraid of it because we've just seen so much cuckoo stuff. And we're scared of our emotions and all kinds of different things. All the stuff we've talked about. So how do we do it safe? And so what I'm going to do just for the next few minutes of this uh, sermon is just look at some of the texts that are the disclaimer parts, that are the caution parts, the character and principle parts that go along with the gifts. So Paul is, is out there. He's like promoting the gifts, saying, hey, these are important. They work. Uh, we need them. You all belong. But hey, this is how they work together. So these are just some of Paul's safeties around the gifts. Because this is what we long for in our home churches. We long for them to be free. We long for them to be operating in a good and healthy way. Uh, uh, the first thing is that safety comes through understanding our connectedness. We don't operate in any way in isolation. The way in which we operate in our gifts uh, impacts uh, people around us. 1 Corinthians 12 says this, that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts is talking about the different parts of the body of Christ. So Paul uses this metaphor of a human body uh, for the church. And so elsewhere he talks about, you know, we got thumbs, we got toes, we got armpits, we got legs, we got arms, and every function, everything has its different function, right? Uh, so he goes and says, parts should have equal concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Right? So we begin to look at our gifts in this context, like, uh, we don't look at them as a hierarchy. We don't look at them as one more highly uh, valued than the other. We don't look at them uh, in that way. We say uh, each part has concern for the other. That word concern in the Greek is like, is that same word that we use for compassion. It's like a, a heartfelt, like I care about that person. And if you really care about that person as much as you care uh, for yourself, then the gifts begin to operate in safety. And if every part uh, that's, that suffers, we all suffer with it. 
And one of the things I've seen so often in the operation of spiritual gifts uh, in the charismatic movement, and, and I am a charismatic Christian, I was pastor in one of the kookiest churches on the planet for a while and got to experience all of that, is one of the ways in which you sort of deal with the busyness and intensity of ministry is you sort of go and you pray and you do your thing and say, hey, that's my part, and then you compartmentalize it and turn it off and you go and do your part somewhere else. And that turning off and compartmentalizing of yourself and disconnecting yourself from other parts of the body in order to keep yourself uh, healthy, you think, or to keep yourself having a sense of margin uh, so that you don't get too tired or you're not stressed out about other people, it's actually, I think it's actually an evil. I, mean, I think there's a way in which we need to set boundaries and we need to take holidays and take breaks and move in in a way that's, that's healthy like that, but we have to stay connected to the body. We don't get to operate as completely independent offerers, uh, drop off our prophetic word and like, jump in the car and go home. Right? It just doesn't work like that. We carry our gifts with us and, and what they're doing in the community with us. Now you are part of the body of Christ, and each one of you uh, is part of it. Uh, this is probably, I should close with this one because it's the big one, uh, but, uh, but look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. Uh, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith and can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm, I'm nothing. Right? How many of you just went back, had wedding flashbacks? Right? Right? If, if I don't have love governing all of this, I, I have nothing. Like, like, if these gifts aren't governed by love, and what kind of love is that governed by? Uh, Anna came across a brilliant song. How many of you heard the latest Mumford & Sons album, uh, a line uh, out of the song Delta? Does my love prefer the other? Or does my love just make me feel good? Which kind of love are we called to move in? Right? We're called to live in a self-sacrificial uh, love. We're supposed to move in a love that is costing us. We're supposed to live in a love that is causing us to invest uh, of ourselves into others in a radical way. And if we're living in that way, then it's way harder uh, to be insecure and to be consumed by our own stuff and able to, uh, to hurt others through our gifts. Um, and that's what we see in terms of the context for the, the Romans 12 piece. When Paul's teaching in Romans, uh, he, he, in Romans 12, we're going to look at 3 to 6, uh, those verses on the gifts of the Holy Spirit there. But it starts with, uh, therefore, as living sacrifices, offer your bodies. Like, offer yourselves. The whole context of Paul's understanding of how the church begins to move in the gifts is an understanding that, hey, moving in the gifts is a self-sacrificial thing. This is a thing that is meant to be your life poured out for others. So Romans 12, 3 to 6 says this, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. It's important how we think about ourselves. It's important how we think about ourselves. It's important how we evaluate ourselves. It's important uh, what our self-image is important. It's important for us to uh, sort those questions of our uh, significance out as we move in the gifts and as we grow and as we mature. It's important for us to wrestle with those things. If you look at, if you want to understand a little bit more about what that's, that means, um, well, it starts with this. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. So he's like, just let's just 
dial our self-perception down <laughs> a little bit, right? Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. How high ought you to think of yourself? We, we, I mean, we, we all know we're not supposed to think of ourselves as better than everybody else, right? We, we know it's pride. We know it's unhealthy. We know that's, that's not good. But we tend to, even though we know that in our hearts, operate as though, and I, I know I do, tend to operate as though I might be the most important person in the room. I'm not. I'm not, right? We're just not. We have to view ourselves uh, rightly in relation to community. Um, he says, rather this, he's like, so, so to unpack this more, he's saying, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Moving appropriately in your gifts requires sober, sober judgment. That's the same word in the Greek that we have in the list of the fruits of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Think of yourself with self-control. Think of yourself with, I'm a person who has my uh, thinking, it has my brain engaged, uh, thinks of myself as someone who is using my cognitive ability in order to manage my passions for ministry, my passions for people, my passions for whatever. I'm using uh, my cognitive ability to do that. These things are working together. And then all of this in accordance with the faith uh, that God has distributed to each one. And what I think Paul is saying here, because this seems like kind of, a, kind of a tricky one to understand, it, it can be read in certain contexts or certain translations, like use your gifts in accordance to your faith. So if you have lots of faith, you just go wild. And if you don't have much faith, you just chill. That's sort of how we read that text. But I think that's not what Paul's saying at all there. I think what he's saying is that, and according to the faith that God has distributed to you, you view yourself with sober judgment. So if you have enormous faith in God, if you have enormous confidence in him and confidence that he saved you and redeemed you and cared for you and your security is based in, on, on faith in Jesus, if you have that confidence, then it's easy to operate in a sober judgment or self-control because you're not operating out of self-insecurity. You're not offer, operating out of, a, out of a drivenness or a brokenness. Is your confidence that God has, has saved you. Your, your operation of your gifts uh, comes out of your faith in Jesus. It goes on, it says, uh, um, for just as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not, have all the same, do not all have the same function. So we don't have to be completely self-sufficient as people. In fact, we, we, we fail if we're completely self-sufficient as people. If we're moving in an extreme independence, saying these are all the gifts and this is what I have and this is what I'm going to do, so this is what drives me, this is how I'm going to operate. There's so many times in life, and this has been my experience, where my gifts bring me to the end of my ability to accomplish what God has called me to accomplish. I have flat spots as a leader that are, that are huge, right? I have an incredible weakness in, in some areas. I have an incredible weakness as a leader in, in the ability to, um, say, do pastoral care in a long-term way with, with people. There are people who are wired as pastors who have an incredible ability uh, to act as counselors, and they will just sit with you, and they will talk with you, and they will do 10 weeks of a course or a session with you, and they will just be patient through that, and they will help you get to the depths of your heart. 
I'm good for about 15 minutes. Like, you don't want me to be your counselor long term. You just don't. And, and I know that, that part of that goes with sort of that image of what a pastor is. A pastor is supposed to be that guy. I'm not that guy. Matt might be that guy. Uh, there's other people that are that guy. But I'm not that guy. I, I might be more on the, if you were going to look at my gifts mix, more on the prophetic side. In fact, that's what my counselor taught, told me when I was doing uh, Christian counseling in both degrees, the first degree and the second degree. When I was doing basic Christian counseling, uh, after doing some of the sort of practicum, sit down kind of stuff with people, um, my, my, my prof sort of pulled me aside and said, listen, you're more like not that. <laughs> like trying to be really gentle and really kind like 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 you're you're more like the prophet type than the pastor type so i and i now when it when it comes to crisis when it comes to caring for somebody in the moment like somebody is coming up for prayer on a sunday morning um my heart like i i i i my heart is so there my heart is so there, and I can sit here with somebody and pray with them on a Sunday morning, and I can see stuff in their soul. I can see stuff in their hearts, and I can pray that the Holy Spirit would come and touch them, and I can pray for healing. And when I see a person, like, I have a genuine, authentic compassion, and, and my gifts operate, and I love that space as a person. But for whatever reason, my heart always wants me to go to the next person very soon. <laughs> and that might be just the call of leadership that's on my life. It might be just the call to the 26,000. Some of you might be called to uh, doing that more long-term work with people in terms of how you're wired. And I, we need you. We need you because I'm not that. And others aren't that. And there's so many gifts that have to work together uh, with diversity to make this thing work. We don't all have the same function, so I need those people that have that function. And, and you know, sometimes I've needed that person to sit with me for 10 weeks when I could not in any way give that same gift back to them. Right? We need those people in our lives um, to, to do it. So, so we have this incredible diverse body that really inside of it has everything we need. But it's not just wrapped up in one person. It is certainly not wrapped up all in your pastor. It's certainly not in me, right? Our gifts aren't our gifts. Uh, reading on in the text. Uh, so in Christ we have, uh, though we though many form one body and each member belongs to the others. Our gifts aren't our gifts. Your gifts aren't your gifts. It's actually kind of terrible language. Your gifts aren't your gifts. Each member belongs to all the others. The gifts don't lead to autonomy. They lead to shared ownership. There's a way in which this incredible thing that the body is, is we're not meant to see ourselves as independent creatures, each with our own peace. I am meant to see myself, and this is so counter us in North America and in the individualistic West. I'm to see the gifts that I do have as belonging to you. That 15 minutes of ability to go heart to heart and pray prophetically with a person and to hear words of wisdom and words of knowledge for them and to begin to unpack what's in their heart, that 15 minutes, that's not my time to control or own. It's not my gift to control or own. That's my gift that I have to be able to surrender to the person who has need in front of me. 
I can't hide that light under a bushel. I can't keep that to myself. And you can't keep your gifts to yourselves either. They're meant for the body. Um, and, and all along here, we're praying that we begin to understand what our gifts actually are. Um, the ability to serve and sacrifice comes through understanding of the sacrifice matrix. Remember that according to the faith given to us that we looked at earlier, pointing us back to the beginning of Romans 12. Uh, also according to the grace given to each of us. Our ability to serve and, and sacrifice comes through understanding just the, simply the sacrifice that Jesus did for us on the cross. Right? So we are able to give uh, as we understand that we've been given so much. Uh, remember the passage earlier, freely you've received, freely give, as Jesus sent out the twelve. Freely you've received, freely give. You guys have received incredible grace from God, so you can't hold on to the gifts that you have. And it's just a challenge to us, right? Like, if you're like, man, I just don't have time to go to home church. I just don't have time. I just don't feel comfortable being in a group like that. I just don't feel comfortable with laying on, on hands of people or praying for them in a small group or whatever. You, you, you need to ask yourself that question. Am I withholding my gifts from the community that desperately needs them? Those gifts that you have in that space, those spaces, we need them. If your gift is this, then do this, and that's what the passage goes on. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. If your gift is healing, then heal. If your gift is all of this sort of stuff, that's what it goes on. So if you have those gifts, then do them. A joy comes when they're used. Joy comes when there's a practical outworking to the gifts that you have. But they can't be used by yourself at home watching Netflix on Sunday nights. They have to be used in the community. And that's costly sometimes, right? To come out of our homes when we just want to be quiet and by ourselves and we're burnt out and tired and we've filled our lives with a million other things and we have no time uh, left over for anything other than Sunday morning at church. You need to carve something else out of your life and give those gifts to the community so that we can reach the 26,000. Right? It's for the 26,000. Uh, on birthdays, uh, you know, if you're a middle-aged man, you tend to uh, wrestle with questions around your purpose. <laughs> Just saying. You know, so one of, the, one of the wrestles and struggles, you know, that I, that I hit, you know, when birthdays come up or other milestones or other intervals happen, uh, you know, I'm 47 years old. We planted this church, you know, now almost 15 years ago, not quite there. And I think here we are, like we are by all accounts a fairly successful Christian community in Carlton Place. We're, in terms of our average Sunday morning attendance, if we wanted to play competitive games, we're roughly three times larger than any other evangelical church in the area. So I could look at that and I could say, man, we, in, in really hard ground, we've planted something absolutely fantastic together. But I'm not, as a person, able to do that. Because there's... There's 26,000 people out there that aren't here. There's 26,000 people out there within easy reach of this space that don't know Jesus. You guys have to work with me got to do this thing together. We can't just build a little church that is just a nice little happy, comfortable place for ourselves. There's more. 
where we go from there. Right, there's more. Do you want your life to be a life of significance? Right? Winston Churchill said this on the eve of the great battles that he faced, and this is just a tiny battle that we face here in our region. He said this, it is not enough to have lived. We should be determined to live for something. Efforts and courage aren't enough without purpose and direction, said John F. Kennedy. And this is Helen Keller, a person who was uh, deaf and blind. Was she dumb as well? I don't remember. Unable to speak. So this true happiness is not attained through self-gratification, but through fidelity to a worthy purpose. The 26,000 are a worthy purpose. So what is my purpose? What is our purpose? I think what is your purpose? It's tied into the strategy that Jesus has for reaching the 26,000. And he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. For this purpose, for this purpose, to, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That's the strategy. That's the purpose. We could run all kinds of amazing outreach programs and they could be beautiful and wonderful and there's things that we're gonna do that'll be beautiful and wonderful. But what we really need to do is just equip you to reach your friends. Empower you and see you empowered as people to reach your friends. I don't wanna build a sweet little country parsonage here. It's just not what I'm about. I just have no interest in it. You better get another pastor if that's what you want. I want to build a disciple-making engine that advances the kingdom of God on the earth. That's what we want to be. Right? That's what we want to be. One who reaches two, who reaches four, who reach eight, who reach 16, and who ultimately reach the 26. It's only the principle of multiplication that will cause this to, to happen and cause it to work. You can't just keep inviting uh, people. And, and, and this is a piece of it, like calling us to gathered worship to this kind of communication is so valuable. But you have to reach your friends. We have to figure out how to help you do that. Uh, where could we possibly find a place to grow in character and learn to use our gifts and love? Where could we find a place to truly become empowered to make disciples? How can we do that or take little steps towards that in this community? Well, home church, right? We can't do that all right here. But you can do that in a living room. You can gather in a circle uh, in a living room with some couches and some chairs pulled in from the dining room, having had a potluck dinner, and, and sit in a circle and share your stories, share your weaknesses, uh, share your wrestlings, share your wonderings, your hopes, and your dreams, and you can have the leaders of those home churches begin to pour into your lives and invest in you and see that your gifts rise to the surface, to see that you begin to use them and to grow in the character and the health that you need to grow in them powerfully and as you do that each one of us do that and we take that outside those home churches and invite our friends in we can reach 26,000 and hopefully all the other churches in the community are thinking the same way but we have to get in spaces 
where we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, where we allow ourselves to grow, where we allow ourselves to be discipled. We just have to do it. So that's the invitation to cross the threshold. If you're on the outside looking in, and, and we, we honestly, we don't have home church figured out. We don't have it working perfectly. We don't have it figured out exactly how to make it all work as a discipleship engine. We're, we're trying to figure it out together. We're committed to figuring it out together. But I just want to invite you to cross the threshold. Don't be on the outside looking in at these small communities that we're trying to cause to grow. Take a risk and step in the door. Take a risk and step in the door. Make yourself vulnerable. And we'll all be vulnerable together. And we'll invite the Holy Spirit to come and empower him, empower us with his gifts. And, and I think we can, we can make a dent. Maybe we can reach another 100. Maybe we can reach 200. Maybe it's too big for us to think of the 26,000. But we can take a step towards it if we cross the threshold. Let's stand. Let's stand. <clears throat> There is a massive task in front of us, God, and we see it and we know it. Our hearts uh, see like Jesus, see the crowd. And we have compassion. Would you just give us a grace to simply follow your strategy, that we would be discipled by you and disciple others? Holy Spirit, come and pour out your gifts. Supernatural gifts, Father. Would you teach us how to use them with all humility, all sense of connectedness, with character, with passion for your word, with all of the things that make them safe. But would you release us to move in them? Would you give us courage to lay our hands on the sick? Would you give us courage to cast out demons, to raise the dead? pray audacious prayers to offer our gifts uh, with gentleness and humility. Would you keep our eyes on the 26,000, keep our eyes on the lost. Help us to love one another as we do it with all integrity. The kind of love that gives our lives away. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.